Today on the Province Crier Podcast, we're in full-fledged panic mode as your Friars are now 5-5 five and five after their loss in the Ryan Center. We'll get a full breakdown of that game as well as uh, looking ahead um, of the rest of the non-conference schedule. Um, Friars have dug themselves a major grave, but we'll see if they can uh, use these last three games to kind of right the ship a little bit. All right, let's see. Man up in my city on the roof, yeah. David Duke when I'm way above the hoop, The Providence College Friars. Top for the crossover. The The Big East. The rest of the college hoops world. Setting the screen. Dunn twisting his way in. This is the Providence Crier Podcast. With your host, a PC grad standing in at four feet tall. He is the Providence Crier himself. Mike Surratt. Man up in my city on the Welcome back to the Providence Crier Podcast. It's Mike Surratt, the Providence Crier. Um, today is Wednesday, December 11th. Yes, I know a lot of you made me aware that I said last week it was December 10th. I was way off. But uh, filming here on, on Tuesday, December 10th, actually, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I record the show on Tuesdays, and I feel like every time that happens, Number one ends up going down, and tonight is no different. Um, Louisville gets absolutely beaten up by Texas Tech. Uh, they lose by 13 at MSG. Um, Texas Tech coming off a three-game losing streak, including losing to uh, DePaul. Um, the, the once undefeated, unfortunately not anymore, the uh, DePaul Blue Demons. But, um, yeah, every time I seem to f- uh, record this show, Something crazy happens. Happened with Evansville game. Um, and it, already this season, there's been four uh, number one teams getting beaten. Um, it's kind of unheard of, especially we're not even in – well, some conferences are in conference play at this point. But um, still, the fact that we haven't really gotten into conference play and we've already seen number one go down four times on four separate occasions, that's, that's pretty remarkable. But um, we, we got a big show today. Uh, we're going to get into the Friars' disappointing, frustrating loss against the URI Rams last Friday at the Ryan Center. Um, as you know by now, the Friars lose to URI 75-61. Um, you know, beginning of the game, very sloppy, which, you know, you can kind of expect between a rivalry game, a lot of emotion, a lot of physicality. Um, so, I mean, I thought it was really sloppy beginning of um, the game by both teams. Both teams kind of came out missing shots. Um, but, you know, they were kind of trading baskets back and forth. The Friars, you know, they end up having a lead, 21-18, with about eight and a half minutes left uh, to play in the first half. Um Alpha Diallo was 
absolutely horrific in the first half. Um, with about four four minutes, 30 seconds left, gets called for an offensive foul. Um, and at that point, Cooley pulls him, sits him for the remainder of the half. And at that point, with four minutes and 30 seconds left in the first half, he has zero points, two fouls, and five turnovers. Can't happen, especially in a rivalry game. You're the senior. He's really got to step up, and he did anything but that in the first half of the game. So that, that was pretty disappointing. Um, so basically when Diallo sits at the time, Rams were up four. They end up pushing that lead up to nine with a um, plus five surge to end the half. So they're up nine at the break. Um, and I mean, if you're Providence, you're pretty fortunate to be only down nine, to be honest. I mean, they turned the ball over a ton, 13 turnovers in the first half. Like you can't, that's just a recipe for disaster on the road. Like no excuse for it at all. Um, you know, second half starts. It seems like the Friars offense seems to get into better rhythm. Um, but, you know, unfortunately on the scoreboard doesn't really change much. They end up trading baskets for a good portion uh, of the start to the second half. Then midway through second half, the Friars, they use a big run, 12-4 run, trim the deficit to two, 55-57, with uh, six and a half minutes to play. And at that point, I mean, I'm feeling pretty damn good. Um, you know, they played so sloppy for a lot of the game, yet they only find themselves down two points. They have all the momentum. Um, you're right, can't seem to put the ball in the basket. Um and the Friars have been in this situation before and came up short. So my thinking was law of averages was, hey, I mean, this time maybe maybe it'll be different. Um, you know, they, they've had to use a lot of energy to come back, but you got them right where you want them and you got so much time left. Like a two-point deficit should be nothing. Um, and, you know, basically at that point, there was like a dead ball or something it ends up, uh, going to TV timeout. And then out of the timeout, the Rams just absolutely blitz the Friars. Um, pretty brutal. They go on a 13-0 run, like, immediately. And that, that essentially just ends the game. Um, you know, that run was fueled by, again, a lot of Friar turnovers and a bunch of missed threes by Duke and Diallo. Um, and then URI made him pay in transition. Uh, Fats Russell hit, hit a pair of threes of his own. And just like that, in a three-minute span, um, which once was a close game, is starting to be a runaway for your eye. Um, it was unbelievable. Um, at that point, they're down 15, three minutes to play. There's really nothing else to do. Game's over. <laughs> so just extremely, extremely disappointing, the fact that they can, you know, show flashes of how good they can be and then in turn just – give it right back and play even worse than as well as well as they were playing. So uh, just another brutal loss. Um, you know, looking at some of the themes from the game, point guard continues to be an issue. And uh, it's played Providence all last season. At the beginning of this season, it didn't it appeared as if that situation was resolved, but it's starting to kill them again. Um, well, Luan Pipkins and Malik White play very bad once again. And for an A. Cooley offense, like, that can't happen. 
Um, Pipkins and Malik, they combined for two points on one of nine shooting from the floor, including zero of five from three, five turnovers, five assists, five rebounds in 35 minutes. You can't, like, you just can't get that out of your lead guard. Um, We've seen for years how important the point guard position is in in a Cooley offense, um, how the team runs through their guard. And right now it's just not happening with either of them. And I don't, it's like Pipkins got the start, but I believe Malik played one more minute than, than Luan did. And they both didn't do anything. <laughs> and it's just really frustrating um, for Pipkins, especially. I mean, this is starting to become, you know, a complete and utter disaster. Um, Pipkins now over his last three games is two of nine, or excuse me, two of nine would, would be great. He's two of 19 from the floor, including one of 13 from three in his last three games. Like, you know, PC brought him in, you know, granted he's a volume shooter, but he's also a volume basket getter. Um, and unfortunately the fires are not seeing that at all at this point. And I think to me, I mentioned it before on the podcast, he's settling way too much for three pointers. Um, the majority of his shots are coming from three where I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, he's smaller. So it's tougher to get, you know, finish around the big tall guys down low, but his, he can use the size to advantage and create space. You know, something that Kyron Cartwright did, something that Luan Pipkins did at, at UMass. Um, he wasn't a guy that was always just so in love with the three. And I think the reason being that he's in love with the three is because the shot um, numbers are down from last year. So he thinks he has to overcompensate and take threes. I, I think he needs to start to look, score within the arc. Um, off drives, you know, do the cart right, like the, the stop fadeaway jumper that Cartwright perfected, stuff like that. Um, maybe like a floater. I've never seen him take a floater in the lane. Um, you're a small guard. You should have that in your arsenal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I think he's just shooting, selling way too much from deep. And at this point, the experiment to bring him in from UMass in the off season, I mean, it's hard to argue. It's, it's a complete failure at this point. Um, it, it's been really tough to integrate him in the lineup. Um, I thought going into it, I think he would, would make Malik White a better player. Fortunately, that's turned to be the inverse. Um, you know, and none of them can consistently run the offense to where you prefer to play one over the other because they're at this point they're both pretty terrible, um, and it's created a huge problem for the Friars. Um, another big theme from the game, obviously, I mentioned earlier, turnovers. Friars ended up turning the ball over a season high twenty-two times. Like I mentioned, total recipe for disaster, um, especially when you're on the road. And, I mean, it, it wasn't a terrible shooting night for the Friars. I mean, all things considered, I mean, it wasn't great. But um, but the Friars, you know, they shot 38% from the floor. I mean, great, not good. Let's be real. But um, 5 of 17 from deep. So uh, we've seen lower numbers is my point. Um but when you turn the ball over 22 times, you're not going to win on the road. There's just no way. Um, and, you know, they did a little bit better job in the second half. 
with the ball. But at that point, to me, it was too little too late. Um, and honestly, I, I give a lot of credit to David Cox. Um, it, it was pretty clear from the get-go what, what his game plan was defensively against the Friars. He was going to have his guys overplay and be extremely aggressive on that pass at the top of the key that the Friars do um, to initiate the flex offense. And they were blowing it up every time. Getting hands on balls. You know, every single time that pass was stealing it. Unfortunately, the Friars, some of the passes were pretty lazy, not expecting the guy even though over and over and over again. Uh, they, they would be intercepting these passes. Um, so I give a lot of credit to David Cox on that. That, that was good scouting. Um, Friars didn't know how to adjust. I mean, at this point, it seems like there's no adjustments that are being made at all. Um, but, I mean, like I said, they did do a little bit better job in the second half, taking care of the basketball, only turned over eight times. But, I mean, a lot of those turnovers came, too, during – that final run that, that ended up clinching the game for your eye. So like with a team with this many ball handlers that are veterans, it's just unacceptable. And for a guy like Alpha Diallo to have five turnovers in, in your first, you know, 16 minutes of play. I mean, as a senior, we, it's, you just can't have that from him at all. Um, you know, Luckily, he, he was much better in the second half. But again, I mean, if it wasn't for that hole he dug them in, you know, maybe the Friars don't have to use all their energy to get back in the game. Um, so that, that was just really disappointing to see. Um, you know, then another big thing, which really irked me, um, Fats Russell, the lead guard for, for the Rams, um, you know, going in, I said I wanted David Duke guarding him. I didn't care about Jeff Dalton. If he wanted to beat us, great. Um, cut the head off at Snake and, and put your best defensive player on Fats Russell. And, of course, that doesn't happen. Um, Duke is covering uh, Dalton most of the game. And what ends up happening, Dalton ends up playing terrible and Fats ends up being really good, um, especially having to, to go against smaller guards like him in Malik White and Luan Pipkins. He goes off for 24 points. Um, he actually wasn't great in the beginning of the game. Kind of rough shooting from him, but, I mean, he was really awesome when it counted. Um, again, 24 points, shot four or five from deep. So, you know, he was efficient. Um, he hit timely shots, including those two threes during that final stretch run there for the Rams. Um, but it was during that – really kind of irked me. You know, he hits an R3. I believe there was a timeout or something. And Fats Russell's just seen there pumping everybody up, saying, you know, this is my arena. I own this state. And, like, to me, it's like, all right, buddy, congrats. You're 2-1. You had two really good games as a freshman. You came in off the bench, uh, chipped in 15 points, I believe. Um, and then you have this big game. Um, Friday, but I mean, dude, you're two and one. Um, do you remember that last game that you played at the dunk? You were god awful. You were hot dog shit, to be honest. Two of 13 from the floor. And you're saying you own the state. Please. I mean, 
I, I get it. I, I get like as a URI Ram, you're probably one of very few players to own a winning record against the Fires, sitting at two and one. But um, win at the dunk first, please. Uh, I mean, he'll have an opportunity to do that next year. But I mean, come on, man. You know, I get it. In the moment, he's pumped, and I shouldn't get too butthurt over it because at the end of the day, it is kind of sour grapes. But Give me a break, dude. Two of thir- two of thirteen at the dunk. Play well at the dunk and then come talk to me. That- that's all I gotta say about that. But um, but I mean, uh, and then another thing that kind of irked me in that game um, was the free throw line discrepancy. It was twenty seven to twelve, so plus fifteen for the URI Rams. Um, I thought that was pretty questionable. Um, I thought there were a lot of drives by David Duke that didn't get called, whereas when they were driving the lane or, or feeding Langevin or any action underneath the hoop, it seemed like they were getting the whistle and it was not happening on our side. Um, I mean, the Friars have much better athletes than, than you or I does. So to me, a 27 to 12 discrepancy at the three-point line or excuse me, at the free throw line is very questionable in my opinion. But having said that, I mean, it's not like we would have made them anyways. We shot 50% again um, from free throw. So that was pretty brutal. And I mean, maybe credit some of it to our guys being too passive and settling for too many jump shots when they should be attacking the basket. But I mean, I kind of thought that that was a little questionable, but had no impact on the game. I mean, Fires lost by 15, so let's be real here. Really, I mean, really the moment of the game was was 55-57 with six and a half minutes to play. You have the game in your grasp. Um, your eyes fighting to, to score, get anything going offensively. Um, you know, Diallo's getting buckets, Duke's getting buckets, hitting threes. Um, that was their moment to, to just – go in for the kill. And once again, it seems like they've done that three times now. Uh, Northwestern game, pretty sure the Penn game, and now um, this game against URI where they fight back and get back in the game with plenty of time. I'm pretty sure in the Northwestern game, they're down like four with like eight and a half minutes left. This time it's two with six and a half minutes left. Like, you have so much time to get back in the game and, and take control of the game and win the game. And it's disappointing that, that a veteran team like PC, time and time again so far this year, has come up short with that. But um, so now, hey, you know, we are where we are. Friars are 5-5 five and five on the season now. I, I think it's time to start panicking for sure. I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone's panicking at this point, but um, – at five and five, they've dug themselves a massive hole in terms of NCAA tournament aspirations. The choir prophecy is pretty much dead. I'm still holding out hope because, I mean, this thing was two years in the making here. But um, it's not looking good. It's looking pretty bleak on, on that front. But, I mean, even their tournament chances are looking pretty bleak. At five and five, you know, they have three games left in the non-conference, and then you get in the biggest play now – you're because of the way you played in the beginning of the season. Now you have to shoot for a high number in biggest play. Um, double digit wins, I think, is a minimum 
I think you need to look at, you know, 12 or 13 wins in the Big East to get yourself back in, in the tournament conversation. And that's a lot. Uh, that might be too much to ask for. Luckily, I mean, you know, luckily Friars aren't the only Big East team in this boat where they've dug themselves a hole. Georgetown's done the same, but they've recently kind of rallied from that um, back-to-back row wins at Oklahoma State and then at SMU, I believe. Um, and that was after James Akinjo announced he would transfer, and then they kicked off two other players from the team. So, I mean, things could be worse, I guess, but, I mean, 5-5 five and five right now is not – not where they want them to be, not where I expect them to be. Um, big disappointment. Um, you know, it's it just frustrating. But like I said, they have three more games left in the non-conference schedule. Um, and we'll take, you know, coming up on the pod, we'll take a look at those next three games um, and where the Friars go from here, um, you know, in terms of personnel what kind of brand of basketball they want to play and then what they can do in these final three games of the non-conference schedule before Big East play kicks off. So we'll get right into that. But first a word from our sponsor anchor. Welcome back to the province crier podcast. Remember you can follow me, the province crier on Twitter and that's at Providence crier. Um, You can also read the blog. I haven't been posting as much with these uh, podcasts keeping me busy, but uh, the blog is at, at um, theprovincecrier.wordpress.com. You can find it there. So, okay. So now, you know, we've gone over the loss against URI. The Friars now sit at 5-5 five and five on the season, and it appears at this point they're sitting at a crossroads here. Um, either the season can go completely down the shitter, um, and they just bottom out and, you know, are competitive in the Big East. Or, you know, they can use these next three games they got coming up to finish up non-conference schedule and kind of build towards getting off the Big East play on the right foot and um, kind of just grinding out these games in the wintertime to try and put themselves back in position um, to maybe get an invite to the tournament this year. So, I mean, I think at this point, though, you know, hopefully they take this week off that they've had since the URI game. They'll play Stony Brook on Saturday at 8 p.m. at the dunk. We'll get to that a little later. But hopefully they can use this week off to regroup, recharge. And I think at this point we definitely need to see some change. Change is absolutely needed at this point. And no, I am not talking about Ed Cooley losing his job. That's been a take that's been floating around Twitter, um, around Friartown. And to me, I just think it's insane. Um, You know, I've talked about this before, but it's just crazy. Like, the guy has turned the program to what it is today. Um, You know, who knows where this basketball program is without Ed Cooley. Um, If you look at the campus itself, it's, it's completely you know, been revolutionized, uh, new buildings, great facilities. And that's in large part due to the su- success that we've had on the basketball court and, and as well as with the hockey team. Um, so Cooley's been a big part of that. And just because he's struggling now, I, I just think that's 
a very narrow-minded way to look at things because they're five and five that he should be canned. Um, it's just an insane take. Um, you know, he brought in the Ruane Development Center. Who would have thought uh, years ago that anything like that would even come close to happening? Now, PC has one of the best facilities in the nation, and that can help give them an edge in recruiting, although we haven't seen it thus far. But, um, I mean, it's big. Uh, it coolly's meant a lot to this program. And I don't think you can just, you know, kick them out the door because of a mediocre season last year, which I think our expectations last year were a little too high. Um, you know, had to rely on a lot of freshman players producing. And that's never really a good recipe unless you're getting like the elite blue chip five-star recruits. Um, but yeah, I mean, just because we, we had a bad season last year and now 10 games in, we're five and five, we're just going to fire Cooley. Like, it just boggles my mind that, that people actually have that take. And I mean, it's like, people are not, <laughs> excuse me, do people not remember, like, how bad the program was under Welsh, under Keno Davis? Like, it was terrible. I mean, with Keno, we were the, the punching bag of the Big East, a laughing stock, really. Like, our defense was like historically bad. Um, you know, we could score, but you know, when you're losing games, scoring 80, that's embarrassing. Um, so, I mean, the job that Cooley's done to inherit the program when he inherited it to where they are now, I mean, he's done a tremendous job. And obviously, the season's not going to plan. And I'll be the first to criticize Cooley. I don't think he's done a good job at all this year. But I don't think that's that's means to just fire him because, I mean, like, I, if you do that, that, that's a huge mistake in my opinion. Um, you fire Cooley, I, I think that would set the program back four to five years because if you get rid of Cooley, like, who are you going to replace him with? Billy Donovan? Like, that's, that's a complete pipe dream. Um, at this point, he's coaching the, the Oklahoma City Thunder – they're actually the seventh seed in the West, but even, I mean, they're rebuilding, so they're not really a competitive team, but even if they were to free fall down the NBA standing and, and, um, and Sam Presti, I believe his name is, at, at Oklahoma City, he decides to go in another direction and fires Billy Donovan. If Billy Donovan's on the market, one, how do you know he would not want to get another job in the NBA as an assistant or something like that? Two, if he, if he wants a college job again, like what makes you think PC is going to be the number one choice? Like it's not going to be close. It's going to be a huge bidding war to get him. Um, you know, who, who knows what programs will be in position for needing a coach, but I mean, you're going to bank on the fact that, that he played, it's his own monitor. Uh, he led the team in the final four as a player. You're going to bank on that to get a guy like Billy Donovan to come to PC. I mean, I think that's the ultimate pipe dream. And then on the other side of the coin, another name that people throw out is Rick Pitino. I mean, I, I just don't see that being a sustainable option, in my opinion. Um, you know, not to be ageist, but, but he's 67 years old. So, like, w- like w- what's the best we can expect here? Like, five, six years out of him? I mean, and then on top of that, like, what happens to the program when he just decides to leave? Like, which is going to be inevitability. I mean, he's going to retire at some point. 
um, from coaching. So, and on top of that, you get a lot of baggage with Rick Pitino. Like, who knows in the five years that if you were a PC's coach, like, what recruiting violations would go on that would hurt the team even further? Because you know the NCAA would absolutely destroy a small school like PC for stuff like that, even though they'll let UNC, Kansas, the others get away with it, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Rick Patino is a sustainable option. So, I mean, who are you going to get to replace Cooley? So, I, I am so beyond, like, I, I just think that the take for Cooley to lose his job is, is so dumb. But in terms of change, the change I'm talking about is I think they need to change schematically how they're playing because clearly things just aren't working at this point. And I think the number one thing that Cooley needs to do, and, you know, it, it might annoy some of your seniors like Malik White, like Luan Pipkins, but I think at this point he's got to run the team through David Duke. Um, you know, last year there were – Duke kind of struggled running the show uh, at point. And, you know, this year they were hoping with the addition of Luan Pipkins, having Malik White come off the bench um, – you could insert, move David Duke off the ball and, and that can help his offense. And I think it certainly has. Um, I think he's really developed as an offensive player. But I mean, we all know Ed Cooley teams, the, the ones that are successful are the ones that the team plays through their point guard, uh, their, their lead point guard that can either score for himself and then help others as well. Um, we saw that with Bryce Cotton when he moved over from the two to the one, like this situation would be. Um, and he, he ended up being a very good facilitator as well as scorer. Um, we saw it with Chris Dunn. Um, and then we saw it with Kyron Car- Cartwright. Like, PC, in order to be successful, they need to run their offense through a lead guard. And um, right now, Malik White and Luan Pipkins just aren't doing it. And I think Duke is your most gifted basketball player. And at this point, you just got to turn over the keys to him. Um, you know, his offensive game has grown. I, I've seen so far this year. He's much more confident as a shooter. Um, you know, he can use his quickness and athleticism to get to the rack. Um, you know, obviously the initiating offense thing, running the team thing, that aspect, I mean, that's kind of an unknown. And uh, that's probably what's, you know, having Cooley not not go ahead and do something like this. But in my opinion, I mean, at this point, you don't really have a choice. Like, like we can't keep trotting out Pipkins and White and have them keep not scoring for themselves or distributing the ball. Like, we can't have all those minutes being played at point with nothing productive happening. Like, there's got to be a change. So I, I, I think you can move Duke over to the one and then – you know, who knows what happens? I mean, Duke did have six turnovers against URI, so he's got to do a better job of taking care of the ball, especially if they want to run the offense through him. But, I mean, at this point, I don't think they have an option. And then I think it can actually help Malik White and Luan Pipkins. Move move them to the two, or even put an AJ Reeves, have both of them come off the bench. I don't know. Um, but I think maybe uh, Pipkins and Malik White – where both guards that, that are score first, distribute second um, type players, 
maybe moving them off the ball will help get their offense back in, into gear. Um, and then again, I mean, you look at AJ Reeves as another piece of that puzzle. Um, so then you can rotate those three guys. Um, you know, you, you can you can have a lineup that goes smaller where, where you put Reeves at the three, you know, Pitt or White at the two, Duke at the one, Dale at the four, Watson at five. Um, so I mean, you can have options. I, I mean, again, at this point, I just think it makes most sense to make this type of change because, again, Duke's your most gifted player. Um, you know, and what you got going right now is just not working. So I think they should change that, move Duke to the one, and run the team through him and, and see what, what happens there. In terms of Alpha Diallo, I mean, listen, I, I, I usually defend a guy a lot because um, I, I think some of the criticism he gets is kind of unwarranted, but he hasn't played like an all-conference uh, performer so far, like not even close. Like I'll be the first to admit that. Um, he, he needs to get back to his old bread and butter, which is playing inside out. Um, you know, I think he's a similar player to Lamar Stevens at Penn State. I don't know if you've seen him play, but um, similarly, Stevens and him, I mean, Stevens is a way better shooter than Alpha Diallo is, but the way they get their success offensively is playing inside out. Um, using post-ups against mismatches, um, scoring off the block, um, you know, doing the dirty work, scoring around the basket, and then from there being able to expand their game to, to be on the three-point line. I mean, I, I think that's what Diallo needs to get back to. Um, you know, obviously he's trying to prove to people that he's something that, honestly, he's not. Like, he's not this marksman shooter. Um, so... He's just got to get back to, to playing his game. And I think, you know, the accolades, the recognition, um, you know, that stuff will follow. I, I mean, everyone in the NBA needs to play a role. So, you know, Diallo doesn't have to be this super sniper from three uh, in order to get a ticket to the NBA. I mean, granted, at this point, I think his NBA prospects are pretty bleak. But, you know what I mean, like – in the NBA, like everyone has a role, so he should just try and focus on on doing his strengths better, which is playing inside-out basketball. Um, another thing, like Nate Watson, at this point, I mean, I don't know. It's cool. He says he's out of shape, I guess, but at this point, there's no time to rest him and let him get back in shape. But uh, we need him now. Um, he has to play starters minutes. Khalif Young, you know. He's a nice player. He had, a, he had a few bad games in a row, but he ends up having a really solid game here against Uri. But, I mean, he's not suited as a starter. He's that guy that you can have come off the bench, grab a few rebounds, you know, hack the shit out of the, the opposition, get a few, few fouls on him, um, you know, the occasional rim run, uh, stuff like that. But he's not – He's not suited to be a starting big man, especially when you want to run stuff through the post. So that's why I think you need to have Watson back to starters minutes, like ASAP. Um, I, I think if you play Watson more, his ability to score down low will only open things up for other guys um, 
on, on, you know, outside the paint. Um, he had a nice game against URI. He, uh, in limited action, 10 points, 6 boards in 16 minutes. Um, one thing I did notice in that game is I thought he did a much better job of being able to pass out of a double team. Um, you know, once he started working them uh, down low, URI decided to, to double him in the post. And in years past, he really uh, he really just had no desire to, to ever kick it out. He would just, you know, try and find a way to get his shot off. And, you know, with a double team, more times than not, he wouldn't be successful. So passing out of double teams it was a big issue for him. And I sort of started to see it get a little bit better um, in that game against URI. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think Nate Watson's got to play a lot more minutes. <coughs> Excuse me. But, um, yeah, and then, I mean, in terms of this rotation, I, I think they got to they gotta shorten it. Um, you know, we were all, like, going into the season loving how, how deep they were and all this, but at this point it seems like there's too many mouths to feed, uh, guys aren't getting enough minutes to get in a good enough rhythm. Um, you know, right, right now they're playing about nine guys. They may need to trim that down to eight. Um, you know, against URI, only three guys saw 25 minutes plus of action, and that was Diallo, Duke, and A.J. Reeves. So, again, I mean, I, I think these shorter spurts that Cooley gives these guys, it doesn't give them enough time to get into the game. Um it's asking a lot. And, and I think, like, you know, a guy like like White, he should be able to, to play a little bit better in shorter spurts because I really see him as a guy that can provide that offensive punch in, in short spurts. But, I mean, the big man, like, there's no – what good is it playing Nate Watson 16 minutes a game? Um, what good is it to play Holt 15 minutes a game? Like, they got to figure that out. Um so then, I mean, if you're short in the rotation, you know, it does beg the tough question, like, who would be the odd man out? Um, honestly, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't have an answer for that. Um, you know, look at Greg Gant, the freshman. That's a guy that a lot of people want to have get more minutes, and I would tend to agree. I've, I've liked the energy. I've liked the effort that I've seen out of him. But um, maybe it's him. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, then obviously probably the two guys you look towards most, Pipkins or Malik White, you know, both of them are seniors. And, I mean, obviously going into the year, that both of them thought they'd play a huge role. And we've given them a leash, but, you know, how long is this leash going to be? Um, like we can't consistently get this poor production from them. So maybe it's one of them, or maybe combining their minutes and, and they just, you know, cut down on their minutes. I don't know. Um, again, like I said, Emmett Holt, like he's a great story, really rooting for the guy. But, I mean, he's not really doing enough either. But, again, he's getting limited minutes. So, like, I think, unfortunately, you're just going to have to find a way to trim this roster without there being any uh, hurt feelings, which there will be, but um, – at this point, the, the nine-man rotation is just not, not working. Guys aren't getting enough time to get in the rhythm. Um, 
But yeah, and I mean, who knows if these changes are actually made? Uh, you know, a lot of people have been calling for changes throughout the season. Cooley's been steadfast in keeping our starting lineup the same, which is, you know, caused a lot of people to be upset, which I don't blame you, because at this point, at 5-5, five and five, change needs to happen. Uh, Cooley's got to figure it out. Um, you know, and if, if we see more of the same in the next game, I mean, it's not going to go well. I mean, he might get booed off the court. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, at 5-5, five and five, obviously right now things look really shitty. But they do have three more games to close out non-conference before opening up Big East play on New Year's Eve against Georgetown. Um, first up is their game on Saturday. They'll take on Stony Brook at 8 p.m., uh, on FS1. I'm going to be honest, the Crier's probably not going to go to this one. I don't know. I'm not really feeling it. Um, the team has put me through a lot so far, and um, I don't know. I, I don't see the benefit in trucking down to Providence for an 8 p.m. game against Stony Brook, if we're being honest. Maybe it was, if it was in the afternoon, maybe I'd consider it. Um, but I don't know. It's kind of weird that they're playing like a team like Stony Brook at 8 p.m. on FS1 on a Saturday, but that's just me. Uh, Stony Brook, they come in at Kempom 176. Um, they actually just lost today, well, at least as I'm recording Tuesday night here. Um, they lost to Hofstra 71-63 at Hofstra, um, but th- they are a top-tier America East team. Um, you know, if you look at the America East, UVM is – Head and shoulders, clearly the best team in that conference. They're a legit team that can probably make legit noise in the in the NCAA tournament if they get into the NCAA tournament. But uh, Stony Brook's definitely a top uh, America's team. Will probably finish in the top three, like they typically do. Um, so they're no they're no slouch. So you know, PC can't take them too lightly. I mean, they shouldn't take anyone lightly at this point because because of some of the losses that we've had to, to some poor teams. So um, Stony Brook, they actually played Seton Hall earlier in the season, lost by 17. That was their second game of the year. Um, they're led by head coach Gino Ford, who replaced Jeff Bowles um, this past offseason. Bowles left Stony Brook uh, for Ohio after having a really good year at Stony Brook. Um, if you remember Stony Brook head coach Steve Peichel, he ended up leaving Rucker, uh, Stony Brook for Rutgers. So, unfortunately for them, they've had to you know churn out coaches there at Stony Brook um, because they're leaving for better jobs. But uh, Gino Ford was actually a assistant coach for the Sea Wolves. Great name, by the way. One of my favorite NCAA uh, team names, Sea Wolves. You don't see that very often. But, um, but anyways, Ford, he was a head coach at Kent State and actually did pretty well um, with the Kent State Flashes. But previously, he'd been assistant at Stony Brook for the last three years. So um, he's, you know, familiar with the, with the program. So, you know, it's not like a major change for them. Um, you know, in terms of their roster, they're led by guard Elijah. I'm going to probably butcher this, but. Olan, Olanayi, Olanayi, yeah, all right, well, uh, 
He's at 19.7 points per game. He's a junior from New York, kind of like Miles Powell, but obviously not as good as Miles Powell. But uh, he's a bigger guard. He's 6'5", can uh, guard multiple positions, get to line. Um, but a nice change of pace to finally play, you know, not, not these puny guards, because the Friars got, have gotten absolutely toasted by the, by the little guards. We talked about it last week going into the URI game. Um, and then Fats Russell proceeded to torch them for 24 points. So it'll be nice to play um, the guy with a little bigger size. Um, maybe we can have better success against that. Um, Ola Naji, he uh, shoots a lot, but he's relatively effective so far this year uh, and efficient. He's 45% from the floor, 43% from three. Um, although that three-point three percentage might be a little deceiving because – his previous two years at Stony Brook, he shot 31%. Um, and actually tonight he was one of five from deep. So who knows if, if you know, he's, he's maybe, you know, rounding back to the form that he, that he was previously as a shooter. But um, Andrew Garcia was the America East six-man winner last year. Um, this year he's averaging 12.1 points per game, six rebounds. Another 6'5 guard. Um, you know, they, they have size with their big men. Um, you know, they play uh, Mohamedou Gai at the power forward, and then Jeff Ocheri is their big man down low. Um, but they also get a lot of rebounds from their guards. Um, they're bigger in size, which helps. But um, they're a team that, that, that tries to get a lot of their boards out of their guard play. So, um, Guy, you know, Cherry, not really known for their offense whatsoever, but they're both anchors there down low. Uh, their interior defense is supposed to be pretty good. Um, both of them combined for 4.2 blocks per game. Um, and to me, although that may be the case, like I said, I want Nate starting, and you know what? Throw him in there and have him battle with these two guys. Um, you know, he's a, a very skilled post player. Um, someone that, you know, those two guys in Stony Brook probably aren't used to seeing, um, you know, and hopefully you can, you know, get some fouls off these guys. Uh, and then that will start to clear some lanes for drafts to the basket. But um, they also need to defend a three. Um, again, I don't know how good this Stony Brook team actually is shooting three, but um Definitely don't want to give them any confidence. Um, I would just like to see better overall defensive intensity from the team. Um, I brought this up several times, but the game, the first game of the year against Sacred Heart, they were locked in defensively. I just haven't seen that same intensity out of them for the rest of the season. So hopefully, you know, maybe this lost to your eye, the fans are pissed, everyone's pissed, you're back home though. Maybe, you know, the guys can – ratchet it up a little bit and uh, get show a little more intensity on defense. But, um, but yeah, that'll be an intriguing game on Saturday. Hopefully the Friars can pull it off so the season won't be completely dead. But uh, we're, we're 10 games in. It's already must-win territory for the Friars. So got to get that win over Stony Brook on Saturday. Um, but they'll finish off with um, two marquee non-conference games. That's why it was important to get off to a good start earlier in the year. But 
you know, I digress. I've, I've beat that dead horse. Obviously, we're not where, where we want to be, but um, they'll play Florida at Barclays this following t- this upcoming Tuesday. Um, you know, I think that's actually, believe it or not, I think that's actually a toss-up game. Um, PC normally plays pretty well in MSG in Barclays Center. Um, hopefully, you'll have a pro PC crowd. This Florida team, similar to Providence, they've been pretty disappointing themselves. Um, obviously not as disappointing. They're six and three, but uh, they added Kerry Blackshear from Virginia Tech, and many believe them to be a legit Final Four contender. And so far, that really hasn't shown to be the case. Um, you know that he struggled there as well as some of their returning guys haven't been that that good either. So um, that will be an interesting game. And then they'll finish off the non-conference schedule, uh, you know, a week from the Stony Brook game on Saturday against Texas. Um, I think that is a game the Friars should win. Um, we went to Texas last year. I, you know, we have really no problem beating Texas at all. And then you look at the team this year, there are some familiar faces with Jericho Sims, Matt Coleman, but they're also losing. They lost their top three scores from last year in Curran Roach, Dylan Ostakowski, and Jackson Hayes. So, like, I don't think they're as good, and they have to come all the way to Providence to play. I think that's the game they should win. But I'll say they'll go 2-1 and one in, in, this, in this final three-game stretch for non-conference, and hopefully, hopefully that would be good enough to kind of get the season back on track here for the Friars. All right, that, that's all I got today for the show. Um, join me next week, every Wednesday, Province Crier Podcast. Hopefully the Friars can get the W on, on Saturday. So have a good night. Go Friars. Man up in my city, I'm the flu, yeah. If it do, when I'm way about a hoop, Cross over, I might go to LEU. Heard they sleeping on me, well, let's take them back to school. PC, you know we on go, ayy Feel like AJ Reeves when I'm off that pick and roll, ayy Fall down, bounce back like Emmy Ho, ayy I'm the alpha dog, Diallo They was sleeping on me, that's what made me a savage And you see me bumping, so we gon' let them have it, yeah They don't want no static, we at the top just like the attic This year we taking over March Madness Man up in my city, I'm the truth